0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to another Design Exec Club Spotlight. I'm here with uh, uh, Monique uh, Woodard. Hi, Monique. Hey. (laughs) Thanks for having me. Now, this is uh, uh, Monique and I are are great friends and we've had some interesting conversations over the last number of years. And we're particularly going to dig into an area which is uh, without a nest. So we're doing some acrobatics here, which might be, might be, complicated, they may not be, but, but let's say we do it. Um, we're going to be talking here about some of the topics that I expect that we'll get into will be around privilege. It will be around agency. It will be about making a difference and it will be about making sure that we accelerate to a better future. So we're on, we're on message. Now, Mon, um, about two years ago, you were working on a project that wound up becoming the Institute of Architects Conference. It was called Collective Agency. Tell, tell me a little bit about that. And I want to go from there to where we are and beyond.
1: OK, well, to give a small amount of context, um, I am an architect. I'm the director of Wawa Architecture and uh, we're a medium-sized practice in Melbourne, um, in Collingwood. Uh, we um, do a mixture of residential work and uh, we, do, we sort of break our practice in thirds. So resi, um, civic, so a lot of um, government schools that we're doing and then a third is kind of this pro bono city shaping um, climate imaginary thing. So uh, as part of that component, um, I was uh, roped in, I'm going to say roped in by Claire Cousins um, to be the curator of the 2019 uh, national conference um, for the Australian Institute of Architects. And we Mm -hmm. called it Collective Agency. It was co-curated with Stephen Choi, um, who is uh, an architect, um, but he specializes in biomimicry. uh, which which is I guess um, the idea that design uh, can um, mimic biology um, simply. and he's sort of the leading expert in Melbourne with that. And the idea was to talk about sustainability in a way that was fresh, in a way that resonated um, and in a way that was um, that engaged with country. And so the conference a lot was about was, was, a, was about, um, unpacking um, what the relationship between country and sustainability
0: can, can I just, because we've got an international audience here, and I yeah. want to just help them with that term, engage with country. Uh, the Indigenous people of Australia, uh, the Aborigines, uh, talk about the land as country, and they talk about being engaged with their lands as engaged with country. So for people who aren't familiar with uh, the Australian Indigenous um, a way of life. That's what that language is. Uh, sorry, Mon. I just uh, had to clarify that. Yeah.
1: No, I mean, I mean, we, um, you know, there were there are very few Indigenous um, practitioners, architects, um, in Australia, and um, but I think that there is this general um, shift towards, you know, a global shift towards decolonisation, towards indigenising the built environment, diversity. Um, you know, gender equality just in general. The conference had 60% uh, female speakers and a very diverse group, um, culturally diverse uh, set of speakers. And the idea was to, um, you know, acknowledge country um, in every segment of the two-day conference with over a 1,000 delegates. Mm -hmm. Um, And it really was meant to be this, um, you know, this spotlight on who it is that's actually practising and what are the issues and... Um, it wasn't about the, you know, really sexy Instagram um, eye candy. It was really about what are the issues and how can we challenge the status quo? How can we be activists? Um, how can we market ourselves in a way that's meaningful? How can we change the conversation? You know, I, I really love that quote, by Don Draper. <laughs> like, if you don't like the conversation that's being had, just, uh, yeah, change the conversation. And so um, for us, it was around... Um, you know, engaging with emerging architects and really um, exploring what it meant to be a design thinker and, uh, and an activist. And in, in
0: Australia for architects, in the US there's NOMO for the National Organisation for Marginalised um, Architects. And I think I got the right name wrong there, but it's actually... That's the, that's the sentiment behind it. Is there a part of the Institute or is there a group that actually champions and, and gives a spotlight to people who are coming from either marginalized or indigenous communities?
1: I mean, I think that the conference really did, um, really did spark an engagement with that. There is a First Nations um, advisory group that's head up by one of the speakers, Sarah Lynn Reese. And, um, you know, I think that we really I'm I'm on the board of the Australian Institute of Architects Victorian Chapter, um, their Chapter Council. And so I think that they're, you know, I guess I became obsessed with the power of one person as well to to have that kind of agency within organisations and to really kind of steer the ship, um, not gradually, very like harsh, (laughs) very uh, aggressively into a certain direction. I mean, I've been in there since 2016. So I guess that's kind of a long time. So I guess that's kind of a gradual change. But it is. Um, You know, towards um, taking sustainability or creating a regenerative um, economy, taking that seriously, advocating for architects, um, architecture and the built environment um, and and for cultural and um, and gender diversity. I guess they're just things that are only being really touched on at the minute. And we um, we we we're passionate about that.
0: Okay, so a couple of things we'll do with the podcast here is we'll put some links into NOMA so that you've got that. And I'll also follow through some direct introductions for board members of NOMA because I think that's a a really important aspect that we're getting some smarts going on between groups who have done this in different parts of the world. So, So you've got this idea that you've had a conversation which is that there's some aspects of the built space and our considerations which are being explored and expanded in there. Um, that's then led you into a series of projects since then. I think one of the ones that I was most interested in was the Nightingale Village project that you were involved in, which was meant to be the, um, what was it, uh, seven architects, seven projects, and it wound up becoming six plus one park. And, <laughs> yeah. and so... Viewers, what happened there was that Mon had gone in, had actually said, All right, there was going to be Nightingale... Nightingale uh, WoW or Nightingale WoW? Nightingale WoW. So WoW
1: is always the abbreviation for WoW
0: WoW. Okay. Yeah. So Nightingale WoW, yeah, you got to the point that it was turning into a, you know, a building that was taking shape. You were getting, I think the politicians referred to it, shovel ready. Um, you were up to that point, And then a little knock on the door came and said... Um, we're actually looking at the space planning for this community and placemaking, and we think the plot that you've got is the logical place to put a park for the bigger community here. Um, mm-hmm. There's a compulsory acquisition of, of your plot. Um, sorry, you're not gonna get to make your Nightingale. Is that, is that a fair summary?
1: Yeah, you know, Jeremy McLeod, director of Breathe and the founder of Nightingale was like, I've got some good news and some bad news. <laughs> good news is this is going to be an amazing park bad news is you're out <laughs> wow yeah, nice, yeah. And, and so
0: so you know it's six plus one but we know that the park's then got a, a role and i've walked through the park it's fantastic we'll do a map link into it see if anyone wants to go visit it mm. and what the, what is interesting the park is finished before the rest of the building so you know that's mm. a that's interesting, so the council got in and actually did what they were meant to do, which was deliver a park for the people who were going to be the early tenants, which is a great piece of placemaking that you want to have that the site is ready for people the day they move in, they're living the experience, not that it is going to take a couple of years to come around. That must have been a hard journey for you because that's a project with sweat, tears, effort. Money. Money, and you're going, oh, so that got interrupted there but you've gone and done some other things since the conference for collective agency you've had it often done a b corp for the organization for viewers that are in different parts of the world the australian um, corporate um, uh, governance doesn't allow for a benefit corporation as the u.s does and so the b corp is actually one of the ways that people in australia can actually make a statement that they want to have the structure of a benefit organization without it necessarily being put in place through our um, corporations law help me out understand what being a b corp brings to you to where we are uh, hello everybody welcome back um uh, mon is how old is your daughter 12 months 13 months she's uh 10 months 10 months okay so 10 a 10 month old was needing mom's attention so that's happening And actually, why you went away, I went and I looked up NOMA, the correct acronym expansion is the the National Organization for Minority Architects, not marginalized. So um, I'm glad I got to do that correctly. Okay, I wanna go in, we were talking about a B Corp and we were talking about what it brought to the studio and how that helps you to go get to your goals and also making sure that people are working with you understand where you're coming from.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, Uh, B Corp is really an important, has been a really important part of our business for the last two years. We've been interested in getting the certification and joining that global network of businesses that, uh, you know, are legally required to meet these um, standards for um, and benchmarks for environmental and social sustainability. Uh, that B Corp certification really was the pivot from Nightingale. We, um, you know, we Nightingale was our first, $8 million building, we were very um, emotionally bought into what that represented for the practice. Um, and it really is still part of our story. We're clearly talking about it now. Um, but the B, B Corp was that kind of pivot to be like, okay, well, how do we um, regroup and recover and 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 live into our values and um, really cement what it is that we are wanting to say as an architecture practice? You know, it coincided with us moving into bigger work. Um, you know, we do... Uh, do a lot of these sort of renovations, um, but the move into these government school projects, I think it it allowed us to really um, get clear on, um, you know, what we stood for, but then it created a lot of collateral for these um, tender processes, you know, when we went out to pitch for the the civic work, um, you know, we could just tick a box and say that we're B Corp certified and people are starting to understand what that means. And so, Yeah. Um, and then, uh, you know, I think that it was one of the things that actually also got us through COVID as well because, um, you know, our team became very tight-knit and it was always very tight-knit, but um, there's, you know, 14 of us that sort of got ourselves through the global pandemic and it was because I think we were very clear on, you know, how we make decisions. So if I sort of said... Um, You know, if one of the team, you know, working remotely was designing a handrail, for example, it would become really easy to kind of say, okay, well, it has to be made out of a sustainable material. It has to be colourful. It has to be playful. It has to be all things. And so um, it made working remotely very easy for our whole team, I think.
0: And it's interesting. We're in the middle of doing uh, this month's uh, Design Exec Club Town Hall is all about standards. And so what's interesting there is the B Corp, you're using it as an internal standard. You're also using it as a standard to help people who are going to engage with you so that they know that the minimum threshold that you have is B Corp certification. But I'd imagine you're going above and beyond the B Corp certification in your standards. How do you express that above what B Corp is? Uh, is that where you just handle that in your overall presentations? Or is that something that you, there's other certifications that you're heading for?
1: Uh, We're currently getting ISO 9000 certified um, and we're finding that very easy because of all the B Corp stuff. So um, I think it's just more, um, you know, I got really passionate about the Architects Declare movement and the idea, not that I want to can anything, but um, it is just a, you know, email sign-up. There's no real requirement to do anything. Um, And I think that for me, accountability and transparency are, these key, um, signifiers, um, that allow us to step into our truth and to, to live that path. And so, yeah, I think, um, I think after the conference, I just got really sort of like, yeah, but what are you actually doing about it? (laughs) You know, like it's the time for words have, have, you know, they have their place, but I'm, Now it's just about action. Like, where's the proof that you're actually engaging with this in a meaningful way? We don't have time. Um, We don't have time for promises anymore. Um, There's only time for action. So... Yeah, and I, and I think that's
0: the important thing, you know, it's lovely having good intentions, but it's actually, it's actions and getting, I was going to say a very naughty word there, a cuss word, as Americans would call it, I was saying getting stuff <laughs> done, so you might imagine what I was going to say, but, um, and so there's a project that, that I went and I saw you presenting with a bunch of other architects, which is called the new normal. And that's one of those examples of, well, we've actually got a proposition here where we're pitching for a bunch of projects that we'd like to see get funded so that they can actually accelerate us to a better future. But it's actually not just a better future, it's an astounding future. Can you help summarize that for me?
1: Yeah, I mean, um, I have known Ross Harding, who is the founder of Finding Infinity for a long time. He is this environmental scientist, activist, visionary man, who essentially um, roped in 15 different architects to do a, um, do some renders that, I guess, um, spoke to his idea of a $10 billion transformation for Melbourne. The idea is that as countries are too politicised that cities can make change, and so he brought uh, fifteen different initiatives from around the world, and the idea was to implement them all in Melbourne, so all in one city, to make it regenerative and to make it a producer, and do all the sustainability things. So uh, the idea was that the ten, the hundred bill would pay for itself in ten years. He did all the numbers on it, and um, you know it, it became this huge uh, fanfare at Melbourne Design Week, which is run through the NGV um, Australia. And um, yeah, we, we were involved in that, and it was um, it was huge. And and you, and you came, Mark, and saw my yep. presentation. Well, look,
0: I came and I saw, and I I'd, I'd had conversations uh, with Ross uh, prior, and I think it was actually I just remember saying to him, Ross, just make this happen. You know, just you've got to commit to it. Let people yep. know it's happened. Uh, let people know it's happening and they'll jump on board. and It was astounding to go along and see, see what had come around. And that was because of a collective agency where a bunch mm. of people had said, we're going forward as a group and there's a proposition. What I did find interesting with the, with the project is because it's, it's a bunch of architects who are, who are driving it forward, it's talked about what the cost of the project is, which is the 10 bill. Whereas if it was been driven by a bunch of developers, they'd be talking about the 100-bill benefit it brings to the society. The, they'd be talking about the uplift. And, and, I, and I find that framing really interesting. I know with the, uh, with the awards, we'll often hear, you'll refer to it was our first $8 million building. But if you go look at the economic activity, the economic benefit that comes out of it, it's more likely three to five times that is actually what its economic impact is. What you're looking at is what the budget is to execute rather than what the impact on society is. And that's that's interesting, getting both sides of the framing there. So what Ross has um, uh, been able to do is actually say, here's actually a cost, but let's not think of it as a cost because we're coming at it from an economics perspective. Look at what the leverage and what the benefit is. And that to me is a really interesting perspective because... It's very hard when you're budget-driven for budget of execution to also get into the mindset of, of the budget of leverage, and I think that's a that's an interesting framing that is brought in. Viewers, we had a little bit of a Zoom error there where Mon started to sound like she was on Star Trek as a Dalek, or no, that's actually Doctor Who, isn't Um, So we got past that. So you've got this. This interesting project, which is talking about how do we accelerate to a better future, how do we actually bring economic leverage, which is one of the things that many organisations understand that in the boardroom, it's at the civic level that it's not understood and also across the broader society that they're thinking that sponsoring sustainable um, projects are always about a cost rather than adding to our society. And I think that was what I found really interesting through that project of of saying the new normal. It was showing how smart innovation can actually add to creating a smarter city, and in this case here, Melbourne. And as it's a smarter city, then there's actually economic leverage, even without thinking about exporting that technologies and exporting the projects, it's just economic leverage inside the city. And that additive side of our our community is something that we need to remember that that's what we're talking about. I think that's what your collective agency was trying to get to. How do we add and how do we keep building up our society rather than necessarily having people who are just about extraction?
1: (laughs) Yes, I agree. Okay, It,
0: it, and and that's, that's one of the things when you're having a conversation with people agree, you'll often just get to the nod point. But I think it's a, it's a fair thing. I think the next, the next 50 to 100 years is going to be one about addition. It's what are we doing that adds, not what are we doing that, that takes away. Because we know that the, the baby boomer and Gen Xs had the privilege of a lot of unfunded consequences of, of what they were doing. There were chemicals that were able to be reproduced and so they didn't have to look at product stewardship. There was a waste and recycling that wasn't happening and there wasn't product stewardship. So now we're trying to work out how do we actually deal with those known problems, not because the, they used to be unknowns, but now they're very much known. Is that a hard sell for people or are you finding that the majority of people that you're speaking to are saying we want to actually be on the better future, we want to actually be doing the right thing?
1: I mean, I guess it's sort of which algorithm the person's sitting within, right, within social media in a way, like, um, you know, and I think that um, I'm finding, the thing that I'm finding personally challenging at the minute is because we've been working on a new normal for a year and we bought in and we met with Sustainability Victoria and all the people and there were people from Melbourne City Council and Sally Capp, the Lord Mayor of Melbourne wrote the forward and there was all this momentum and, um, you know, the the whole team's meeting on Friday actually to talk about, um, you know, what now, but I think I found it very, um, confronting to then suddenly, um, go, okay, well, what now? Because in my mind it was so obvious that all of these things had to happen and the benefits and, um, you know, that it was just going to happen. And I think, um, you know, Uh, quite a few of the projects have been funded in some capacity. And so I think we, you know, it is just that slow road, but there's this kind of fire in you, like, after you do something like that, that you want to make that change and you want it to be immediate. Um, And I think it's just taking a pause and um, kind of going, okay, well, how do we reach this outcome that we believe is true? And then, you know, you see that our prime ministers, uh, well, you know, one of the things was to remove gas um, and then he's going, he's, he's, uh, Going full throttle into gas, um, and so I feel like that kind of schism is really confronting after you um, after you go through after you find a solution that makes a lot of sense.
0: Yeah, and, I, and that that to me is the there's a lot that I don't like about our prime minister,
1: <laughs> um,
0: but what I'm noticing is that whether it's the power of the electorate that you know he's can see that he's going to be on the wrong side of history. But he's actually taking the conservative side of Australian politics and Australian business into the future at a faster rate than if it was the other side of politics. And and so it's interesting that um, some of these reforms are best to be the people who are holding the position that they're in government and they say, come on, everybody, it's time we go make the change. If it's labour market reform, it's probably best that you have a progressive government in because then they'll say, come on, labour movement, come with us. Mm -hmm. If it's actually going to be things like the environment, it's probably best that you've got the conservative side in government because they can say, come on, it's about time that we do this. Whereas if you had it the other way, then there's actually fight back uh, because it's not our tribe. But it is interesting how entrenched... The conservative position on energy policy is in Australia, and we've had somewhere over the last 15 years, generally the conservative side of politics have represented that any release of fossil fuel was good, good for the country. It was a way that we got taxation revenue. It was a way that we actually got cheap energy. We sold things cheaply. That's very hard to move away from. And so I suppose that's a cultural change that needs to come in. Not trying to be an apologist for him, but just saying he's actually he's tilting the needle a little bit while also working out how to go stay in the position of prime minister. Because what people in the United States may not understand in Australia, in Westminster systems like Australia and and the UK, you can be removed as prime minister. You're not the president for four years. You you can be removed. (laughs) If your party says, no, we're not like we don't like what you're doing. They'll kick you out, and Australia's um, done that a lot, of, and it's always been around energy policy in recent years. So I think we're we're trying to go through a cultural change there, and it's hard to think that the person that is disappointing you might also be the best hope that you've got. Like that, to me, is that takes a lot of patience to go to go consider
1: that. And the kind of crazy thing is um, what role I have in this conversation as an architect, you know, as a design thinker, and I think and. The architecture profession in melbourne at the minute it's extremely collegiate everyone is very supportive of each other and it you know it does feel like we are kind of starting to sing from the same song book as a as an industry um and so what role you know we we have to play i think is the thing that is really exciting um because we're champions of the built environment and we're champions of good design and what that means for community and what that means for the environment and, and, and I think that's what it means to be an architect. You're thinking about all the things and you're wearing all the hats all the time. Um, mm. And I think that, you know, that aligns with my personal passion of being this, like, yeah, multi-passionate architect or multi-passionate entrepreneur. But, um, you know, is the catch cry. But, like, uh, of Marie Folio, who I'm obviously a huge fan of. <laughs> and, and so I suppose that,
0: that what's really interesting there is that architects, can only have a certain amount of agency if policy or developers, you know, the people with money, if they don't want to back what the architect's vision is, then it's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you were talking about um, for a new normal that Sustainability Victoria, the government agency charged with uh, with that, and it also happens that uh, Claire, who's the CEO there, was a former deputy mayor of, uh, of the city of Melbourne. So it's like... She gets the civic and she also gets the state side. Mm. But if those people weren't leaning in, that project wouldn't have been able to get legs. So, you know, I suppose it's a matter we have to monitor how much are people leaning into that new prosperity, the new opportunity versus leaning back from it. And that's what, that's a pretty good indicator. Now, mm. the biggest leaning in is when people put money in. So mm. these projects there for the new normal, you said that some of them have been funded. And... Mm. Um, is that funded, shovel-ready, let's get going, six months we see something delivered, or is that um, it's going to take 12 months, two years? What's the t- timeframe to see those projects being realised?
1: Well, I guess uh, speaking, you know, for the Wawawa project, uh, so we partnered with um, a developer and um, he, we're currently working out. It's a, it's a huge development um, in North Melbourne, which is actually very close to the city uh, and where, you know, it's, it's, um, you know, res and it's, um, you know, it'll have a big retail and wellness center. And so we're working out where our anaerobic digester can fit into this development. And he is just extremely excited about the idea of using that as, um, you know, marketing leverage and being this sort of hero sculpture within the development itself and, you know, partnering it with, um, yeah, with, with, you know, food, So people can understand that the chip that they don't eat goes into the digester and fuels their spa. Um, yeah. So I think, uh, I mean, that we're in feasibility phase. So we've, we've been paid money um, with finding infinity okay. to, to do this feasibility. And so I think mm-hmm. it is those little baby steps.
0: Okay. And, and that's really important to know that, you know, it's not like a tech startup where someone says, we're going to pour in five mil and come back in six months and give us a product. Yeah? Mm-hmm. It's, so there's going to be some stages here, which is the way that all built space projects uh, work. So you've got an anaerobic digester. For the viewers that aren't familiar, that's basically like an industrial compost bin but rather than actually having that the gases are released, the gases are actually contept, uh, kept in a pressure um, container and then those gases are actually used and converted to energy. Is that a fair summary? Yeah,
1: yeah.
0: Organic energy to biofuel, right? So oh. we, yeah. So when did you, like I'm thinking as an architect, did you ever think that you'd ever be designing in an anaerobic digester into a building?
1: No, I didn't even know what it was until recently, (laughs) basically. um, Yeah, it took me a while to understand what it actually was. And uh, But, yeah, I mean, that was the topic, waste energy, that we were given. And, um, you know, I embrace everything with, like, you know, wholeheartedly. And so now I'm just a, yeah, organic energy expert.
0: Well, actually, and like the Olympics, there's always other experts that help rise you up one level and one level, don't you? So, so we look forward to see that. There's two questions that I ask everybody that I do a spotlight with. Mm-hmm. The, one of them is just the politeness. Like, is there anything that I haven't spoken about that we need to speak about before we wind up? And the other one is... Who's inspiring you? You know, what? if you were saying, I'm, well, I've had a spotlight on me, there should be a spotlight put on these people. So have I missed anything? And do we have to go, you know, do we need a few minutes to go through and, well, Mark, you missed this most important thing? Or have we got through some of the main elements that we can do on shining a spotlight that gets us from collective agency through the Nightingale Project, through the B Corp and into a, a, a new normal?
1: I mean, I guess the the link um, between them all is really the ambition to make change and to explore, um, you know, explore. I think who Wawawa is, but then who I am. You know, I think that having a baby um, in that in that time frame between all of those projects is, um, you know, for me has. Um, been, you know, and a global pandemic as well. I think it's just all the things. Um, and to sort of unpack what it means to be a female, you know, in architecture, to be a, a mum and and that journey. I mean, I guess I'm currently ex- inspired by a lot of, um, you know, leaders and uh, people engaging with emotional healing and, what, you know, how that could um you know, not wanting to pass down sort of generational trauma to Cleo, I guess, you know, I'm whenever I sort of get into something, I'm always thinking about how that can relate to architecture. How does that relate to the team? That sort of emotional intelligence, um, how does that play out um, in, in, in you know, spatially? And so I think um, that's, I mean, that's something that I'm currently being inspired by. I mean, I'm always inspired by, you um, uh, you know the, the trailblazing women who taught me how to be you know an arch, you know a, a, an architect um, and a, a woman in this space um, but I guess yeah Sarah Lynn Reese is the um, and Cecile Weldon I set up a non-for-profit with them on maternity leave and so they are just constant sources of inspiration um, I guess I'd, I'd, I'd throw a spotlight on those guys yep. Okay, so, and, and I'm trying to get
0: um, uh, Sarah Lynn in on, uh, on a, um, a spotlight in there. And I also expect that we can get Ross in here so that we can go have a conversation there. So they, we'd pass that along there. But yeah. I'm really interested that the, the, the elevation that you were given by the women who had come before you. And, mm. and if help me if I've got this chain wrong, but there's Claire Cousins who was a great inspiration to you. And then Claire Cousins got some inspiration out of the Kirsten Thompson era. And I think Kirsten was a contemporary and also got inspiration out of the Debbie Ryan period. So you've got these four amazing architects, but now you've actually got people that you're elevating, you're giving a hand to. How's that role change going from being the mentee into the mentor? Has that been an interesting process to say, oh, that's right, now I'm one of the leaders and I'm meant to actually give people a hand up, so maybe they'll slingshot me as well?
1: I think I always saw myself as in, in that duality of being mentee and mentor because um, when I, you know, basically straight out of uni, I started teaching um, and was really passionate about, you know, teaching in general. So I think I've always felt um, that responsibility to sort of help others up the ladder um and you know really subscribe to that idea that there's like you know a special place in hell for the woman who like pulls the ladder up behind her (laughs) like
0: oh really is it just for the woman who pulls the ladder up I think actually anybody who doesn't offer a hand up yeah there is a special place in hell for them
1: yeah I don't know I had that expression once and I just I don't know there's there's quite a few you know quite a few women that you start to see will Actually, you don't serve anyone but yourself, and um, I feel I feel like that would be my biggest fear uh, in life—that I wasn't—that um, I wasn't here to serve others and to help others and to contribute to that lineage and understand very much that we are sort of a part of this chain um, that moves the needle on issues. And um, you know, I just want to contribute in a way that's meaningful and have a happy life and have a really beautiful relationship with our work family and and do good projects and um and make change and i think that in a way i think that if you if that's what your core mission is in life and you know i feel like we're on the on the way to doing that so yeah it's good
0: i'm I'm in the process of or in development of a series which is called the shoulders of giants Mm. and uh, (laughs) because we're all standing on the shoulders of giants and i've recorded a couple of episodes and I think it's September 12th is the 35th anniversary of me starting my first business. And so what I want to do there is there's a thank you. There's a guy who is the most humble guy, but he gave me my first break. And I want to actually have a conversation with him and find out who's, who were, whose shoulders was he standing on because I got the benefit to stand on and there's other people who have got the benefit of being able to stand on my shoulders that that's such an interesting concept that we can reflect back on the people who have helped us and that whether it's the ladder or the hand up it is really important that we actually say come along um, maybe I can help you how do we slingshot people into the future because we need to get courageous souls to keep going beyond where we've been able to go to and to help keep us young and fresh as well that's amazing what happens there Look, Mon, I've had a fantastic time walking around in your mind. Hopefully you've enjoyed it as well.
1: (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Always amazing to chat with you, Mark.
0: Well, um, viewers, um, we'll put all the links in that we've got and spoke about, but I think the key thing that's come out from this from Mon is that we do have agency and it's actually deciding what to go do with it and hopefully you're trying to work out how to get to
1: a better future faster. Thanks for viewing.